Well, last week when we left off in Malachi, it was judgment time. God was talking about bringing judgment on all the different people. And uh, we pointed out the fact that that is coming at the return of Christ. That at this point, thankfully, we are still under God's grace. And that's why Jesus came. So uh, before we jump into today's passage, let me just remind you once again that it's really all about the grace of God through Christ. And the passage that we are going to get into today is a bit challenging and, um, you know, pretty direct. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to reiterate, let's remind ourselves that what matters most is living under God's grace. That it's about what Christ has given to us, that Jesus died in our place. Yes, we are sinners deserving judgment. That's what we deserve. But through Christ... We are offered forgiveness. We are offered grace. And so I'm so very thankful for that. And we see that grace on display at the very beginning of our passage today in verse 6. But let's open our Bibles to Malachi 3. And we're going to read 6 through 12 today. It says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So God begins this section of scripture by saying that he doesn't change. And it's interesting, he says, and that's why you're not destroyed. So coming off of verse 5, you know, judgment is coming, but he says that, that I don't change, and that's why you, you aren't destroyed. Thankfully, God has not turned away from the covenant that he had made with his people. And even though they turned away from him, and we see so many examples of that, and we, in, our, in our Bible reading plan, we just, the last couple of days, have been reading about that, right? Where God led the people out of Egypt and miraculously leads them out and the Egyptians come after them and they start to say, why did God bring us out into the, to die out in the desert? God parts the Red Sea. They cross miraculously through the, the, the parted waters and the waters come back and sweep away the Egyptians. And then what do they do? They start grumbling. We don't have food. We're going to die. We don't have water. And it's just one thing after another. And it's remarkable to me that even though God shows himself, the people just you know, have one complaint after another. And I read that and I thought, we are those Israelites, aren't we? Where we see God you know, providing and doing things, and then it's like, well, what about this? But not this time. And we start to doubt and have all these issues. Well, thankfully, God doesn't change. Thankfully, uh, when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. And the reason that he did not wipe the people out as they deserved was because he had made a promise uh, that, that he wasn't going to do that. And um, So he gives this, this gracious invitation in this passage and that is, return to me, and I will return to you. So they, they needed to 
returned to God. God said, I won't destroy you, but things were not right relationally. So they still, in order to have the right relationship with God, they needed to return to him. And uh, the, the biblical word for that is repentance, right? To turn back to God. I, I love to think about these things in uh, terms that we can understand, your know, relationships that we can understand. And uh, this is true in any relationship, but it's especially true, I think, in a marriage relationship that, you know, if I say or do something that is offensive to Sean, that creates some distance in the relationship, right? Now, I'm not going to tell you that my sweet wife holds a grudge, but I will tell you this, that I can tell when I've done something to offend her, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You feel the temperature in the room drop. A little, it gets a little cold. You know what I'm saying? Like you just can tell something is not right. And what do you need to do in order to make it right? You need to return, right? You need to, to, to invest relationally, to apologize, to try to make things right. I mean, that's, that's a biblical idea of repentance. But you could be married to the most gracious and forgiving woman in the world, which I am, Darren. I'm thankful for that. But if you continue on doing the same things, what's, what does that do to that relationship? Even if the person you're married to is gracious and forgiving, if you continue to offend in the same ways and you don't ever change, well, are, are you still going to be married? Yeah, you're still going to be married. But is the relationship going to be right? No. And so God is saying here, it, it's not that, that his you know, the, the, the fact that he has chosen these people, that that has changed. But the relationship isn't right because they need to repent. They need to come back to him. And so they ask, how do we do that? And we, we see all these, these over and over again where they're saying, you know, okay, how do we do it? And verse 7, God answers them. Which, by the way, going back to that marriage illustration, ladies, can, can, I, can I just have you listen to me for just a minute? If he's done something wrong, tell the brother what he did wrong, okay? <laughs> Don't make him guess. God does come out and say, this is what you've done wrong. So sometimes we just need to hear that. All right, that's my little aside for the day right there. Verse 7. <laughs> Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And then they ask him, how are we to return? He says, return to me. How are we? And he goes and he talks about robbing God through tithes and offerings. He's very specific. And I find this absolutely fascinating. That of all the ways that God could have said, you have departed from me relationally. He chooses the fact that they had robbed him in tithes and offerings. Isn't that interesting? He says, this is part of our uh, our relationship is part of the, the unique covenant that God had with his people, but he tells them to return in that way. And so here's the application, and I'm going to talk about what we can apply specifically to us and what we can't, because that's important too. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But here's what we can apply, and that is that our giving impacts our relationship with God. I want to start there. This is why it is so important for us to understand biblical principles of giving is because it impacts our relationship with God. God. Now, when you think about reasons that you should give, is this the first thing that comes to mind? See, I think a lot of us think of it more as an, almost an obligation or an arm-twisting or a guilt-driven kind of a thing. Or maybe we think of it in terms of practical needs, and we're going to talk about some of that today and, you know, how that, that really does facilitate real ministry. 
But how many of us think the very first thing that comes to mind when I think, why should I be generous and why should I give to kingdom purposes? How many of us, the very first thing is, it deepens my relationship with God. It helps me to grow closer to Him. That's really what, what he's getting at here. Uh, now, we, we need to be very, very clear in saying that we have to be very careful about how specifically we apply what we read here because this was God speaking to a specific people under a specific covenant at a specific point in time. We are not the Israelites, and so we need to be careful applying every detail of what God is saying. And here's what I mean by that. What God says to them here is, if you will give, I will financially bless you, and you will get more in return than what you give. You know what that's called? It's called a prosperity gospel. There are people that preach that. That if you will give to God, God will financially give you more back than what you gave. And that's, that's not a, that's a false teaching. That's not what scripture teaches. This, in this case, is a very specific instance here where the people under this covenant are told by God to do this. Uh, now, there are principles that we can still apply to ourselves today. And that's what we're, we're talking about. But I think we want to just be real clear to be careful how much we um, take exactly what they're saying here. But it is important to understand what he's talking about when he says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It's referring to God's command to the people to bring their tithes to the Lord. That word tithe, if, if you don't know what that word means, it means a tenth. And it's commanded in Leviticus 27, 30 through 32. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Now, so the people weren't doing what God required. God required that they would bring a tithe, they'd bring a tenth of all these things, and, and they weren't doing it. And this is where, again, we need to be careful with the application because, you know, nowhere in the New Testament are we given a command to tithe. Now, Jesus acknowledged the Pharisees who tithed, and he said, you know, they should continue doing that. But, but let's just be really clear in saying this, that we are not commanded in the New Testament to tithe. Now, some of you are, are getting uncomfortable hearing that, and some of you are starting to feel very free right now, feel very good about hearing that. So let's kind of unpack that a little bit, because some of you are like, well, I tithe, and I know others don't, and I want other people to, you know, kind of be in the same boat with me, so I'm getting a little uncomfortable with that. Well, and others are saying, hey, you know, I'm free to, to not be under the same law. Yes, you are. But let me just point out the fact that anytime Jesus talked about an Old Testament law and interpreted it for us, how many times can you think where Jesus took something from the Old Testament and took something away from what was in the Old Testament? What we see is Jesus adding to, not taking away from. He doesn't go backwards. He goes forward. And so when we think about our giving, I totally agree with that, that we are, that we are not under a legalistic system where it's like, you know, I, I, I must give a tenth or I will be under a curse from God. But at the same time, I would view that and say, yeah, but at the same time, I, I still believe that's a good uh, standard for us and, and not, even the, uh, you know, not even a place to stop, but a, a place for us to say, this is, this is a good way for us to uh, trust God in the areas of our giving. That's my personal conviction, is, you know, give 10% to the church, follow God's leading in other areas, and be generous as we possibly can, but not make it a legalistic thing, because here's, here's what's most important. It's the matter of the heart. 
when it comes to our, our giving, and, and let me just go back to what he's saying here. The problem was that people had departed from God relationally. Their hearts were not right. And so God says, I want you to come back in your tithes and offerings because that'll draw your heart back in, or at least that's the intention. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 puts it this way. It reminds us that each of us should give what we have decided in our hearts to give. It says it should not be under, uh, not done reluctantly under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. So we see that the heart is really what matters most. And I think that's one of the, the enduring lessons from the book of Malachi and specifically from this passage is that our giving should, uh, should be a reflection of what's in our heart. And it is the intended purpose is to help us connect with God in deeper ways, to help us trust God in deeper ways. And you know, you think about trust. Trust is what builds intimacy in a relationship, right? When you start a relationship, when you're early, you don't know somebody very well, you're a little bit more guarded. You know, you probably don't trust them to the level that you trust someone that you know very, very well. And so the more you get to know someone, the more trust you offer. And it's interesting because it works the other way around too. The more trust you give someone, assuming they don't violate that trust, the, the, the deeper the relationship grows. And so our trusting God is a way for us to grow deeper in our relationship. And I know there are a lot of different ways that we can trust God. You're one of the best ones. And one of the ones that is repeatedly mentioned in Scripture is through our giving, through our finances. When we were saying, Lord, I'm going to give this to you, I'm going to trust you with this, especially when it's not easy, that helps us to build intimacy. And so one of the best ways for us to grow in our relationship with God is to grow in the area of our giving. Start where you are, but have a plan to say, my plan is to grow. I mean, if it's, I'm giving 2%, then maybe the next step is 4, and then the next step is 6. And, but, but when you get to 10%, you don't stop. It's not, you know, I'm done it's how can I continue to grow in my faith and in my generosity. So that, that's where it begins, is understanding that it's about the relationship and about returning to him. But a second thing I see in this passage that should encourage us to be generous is that our giving facilitates ministry. And here's where we see that. Um, he's, he's talking here about um, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, verse 10. It says, so that there may be food in my house. We, we need to kind of unpack that a little bit and understand what he's getting at. In the Old Testament, in the temple, the original temple as well as the rebuilt temple, they had what they called storehouses in the temple. And a, a portion of the people's tithe would be brought to the storehouse and it would be used as food and supplies for the Levites and the priests who were serving in the temple. But we get some insight from Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Malachi were contemporaries and Nehemiah uh, chapter 13 sheds some light on what was going on here and what Malachi was talking about. Because in chapter 13, uh, he talks about basically restoring one of these storehouses that was being used for another purpose it should never have been used for. And he's, he's telling them to get back to that. Um, but listen to what he says in Nehemiah 13, 10 and 11. It says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. Do you understand what's going on here? The, the, the Levites and musicians, those who are responsible for ministering in God's house, 
They were supposed to be provided for by the tithes of the people, but that was not happening. So they had to go out and work the fields themselves so that they could provide for themselves. Well, what happened when the Levites and the musicians went out to work the fields? There, there wasn't the ministry happening in the temple that was supposed to be happening. And so it, it's a, a, a reminder that one of the purposes, certainly one, is that it connects us with God at a deeper relational level. But one of the purposes of our giving is that it facilitates ministry. And, and there is some application for us today. Again, I want to be careful in saying, I'm not a Levite, right? That, that there is some difference there, in the, the law that they were under. But there is still some application, and that is that um, you know, there are those who devote their full time and energy to equipping the church for ministry. And I know there are a lot of settings where that's not, it, it's not an option. There are a lot of churches where they're not able to uh, have the financial resources to pay staff or others to, to, to do this. And I, I realize that. And uh, by the way, those people are, are some of the greatest heroes in my mind that are um, doing ministry by vocationally and things like that. But at the same time, there is a biblical precedent for, um, for those that, that are able to give their full attention and devotion to ministry to receive a living from that. And I want you guys to know that that's not something that I take for granted. It's not something our, our church staff takes for granted. It's something we're very grateful to be able to do. But your, your giving goes way beyond just that, way beyond that. There, there are plenty of other um, avenues and ministries that take place and... Our giving helps us to be able to, to fund kingdom types of purposes. For example, this past year, our church gave $115,000 to missions efforts of all different kinds, uh, supporting different missionaries and different initiatives and things like that. Um, you all gave $33,000 in benevolence support to help families in need. Uh, you donated two tons of food to the Amazing Grace Food Pantry uh, you provided 300 backpacks for school children that needed them, 264 Christmas gifts for families that need at Christmas time. Uh, I think about the ministry to uh, foster families, which, by the way, is a great way to serve and get involved. I know they could use some more support there. Um, but just in November alone, 85 foster kids were provided for through that ministry. So just example after example of where your generosity is opening doors for meeting needs that then in turn opens the door for sharing the gospel. And here's a new one for this year that I want you guys to know about and I want you to pray about and you'll have opportunity to learn more about this. Uh, but we have entered into a partnership with a church planting organization called uh, Strategic Launch Network. And there are nine church planters that are being sponsored through this network and our church has come alongside them, and we have donated $25,000 to be able to support, in addition to a lot of other people that are, that are donating to support these churches, but are supporting these church planners that are planning churches in some of the hardest-to-reach hardest areas in North America. And so I want you to know that's happening as well. In fact, just so you kind of get a, a feel for what it's about, uh, all about and know how to pray for them, I want you to just take a look at a quick little introductory video. This could give you a, a little idea of, of where our resources can go and how we're able to be a part of taking the gospel far beyond our own doors. So let's take a look at this video. We believe uh, that God has called us here 
to help spark a church planting movement. God was bringing people here from all over the world, all over the country. In our church now, there's probably every state represented. Naples is truly a global destination. We're living in Goodyear, which is about 20 miles west of downtown Phoenix, and that is the 10th fastest growing city in the U.S. We launched Mana Church in the city of Newport News, Virginia. If you put a magnifying glass on our city, it's super strategic to be here. You have Michigan State University, one of the largest universities in the country, 8,000 international students from over 130 countries. And then three and a half miles down the road, you've got the state capital of Michigan. We wanted to pick a city that if reached for Christ, would have an impact that went far beyond its city boundaries. And we thought, man, no place fits that bill quite like DC, because after all, what happens in DC doesn't stay in DC. What happens in our city has a huge impact across our nation and across the world. Oakland is known for its diversity. It's known for its hustle. Uh, from the music to startups, this city is all about hustling. Everybody has two jobs. Uh, the vision for TFH Oakland is to see a church that is meeting not only the needs of the city, but it's making a difference in creating holistic families. We want to create a space where they can feel loved and connected and cared for, um, and also help them discover their God-given purpose. Part of our, our heartbeat is we want to be a church that's for our city to reach more people with the good news of who Jesus is. Our hope is that uh, the Lord through the Commons Church will establish a healthy, vibrant church in our city that's reaching both the campus and the community. And our hope is that uh, through our church, we'd be able to raise up and send out people uh, to plant churches all over our state. My hope for the city is that it would not be known as the salt city because it produces salt, but it would be the salt city because there are people here who are salt and light. We are so excited to be partnering with the SLN. I'm grateful that you are joining with us to reach the city of Syracuse and beyond. And ultimately, we are not here just to start a church, but we are here to start a movement. We are here to contend for renewal and revival in our time, and we believe that God can do it. So that is just one example, and we could go on, and I, we don't have time to talk about all the different ways, whether it be ministering to kids, families, whatever it is that happens. So our giving does definitely facilitate ministry. And then there's one last thing that I want us to see from this passage, and that is that our giving prepares us for God's blessings. I mean, we see that in Malachi 3, but again, we want to be really careful exactly how we apply this, and that this not become a... You know, give to God and he will give you more back in return. Um, again, this is, this is a very specific promise here, but God's promise was that he would pour out blessing on the people. Um, so what does that look like for us? In what way do we say that our giving prepares us to receive God's blessing? I, I do think that there is an enduring principle here that that is true uh, in a lot of different ways. And uh, in this specific passage, he talks about ways that he's going to do that. The land was under a curse at this time, so they were in a drought. Um, their, you know, their, their crops weren't producing. Their vines weren't producing fruit. I mean, they, it just was not a healthy time. And God said, test me in this and see if I will not make things. I, I'm, I'm going to stretch what you have. 
the ground will produce and the vines won't, uh, won't drop their fruit and those kinds of things. Um, you know, my personal experience, again, I, I think we have to be really careful um, how unilaterally we apply what we see here in Malachi 3. But I'll just tell you that our personal experience, our entire married life, has been uh, really similar to what I see described in Malachi 3 in this way, that, that I am convinced that God has made things go further. I'm absolutely convinced that God has made the 90% go further than the 100% would have gone without his blessing. And everything from, you know, especially as young marrieds with very little money and in seminary and the whole bit of, you know, making cars last and, you know, finding good deals on things, even finding a great deal on the first home that allowed, that allowed us to build some equity and just, you know, prepared us uh, for things down the road. Does it work that way every time? No, it doesn't. You know, there, there are times where people say, I'm going to begin to trust God in my giving and things get even more difficult for a season. You know, there are those periods of, of testing that come, so it's not just an automatic, well, I'll give and then God will give me more back. No, but what we can know for sure is that as we are trusting God in the area of our giving and our generosity, that we are putting ourselves in a place to be under the blessing of God. Now, what that looks like, I think, is really broad. It's not just a financial return, but... There's incredible peace. There's incredible purpose that comes from being under God's blessing. It doesn't mean that nothing difficult is ever going to come into your life. That's not been our experience. As most of you know, the last four years for us have been difficult for us. We've gone through significant and continue to go through significant challenges with our family. But I can tell you, even in the middle of that, it's really evident that God's blessing is there. And that, that God brings peace, and God brings direction, and God brings purpose. So there is absolutely a blessing that God brings when we trust him in the area of our giving. Uh, again, that, that's, it's a heart issue. That's really the most important thing. This is not a legalistic thing. This is not a, you know, you must do this, and if you do, this is what God will do. Um, it's a matter of the heart. But, man, what an opportunity it gives us to step out in faith in some ways that um, are kind of scary, frankly, at times. And what a, a, a great opportunity to learn to trust God in some areas that, you know, just aren't easy. But it really is a matter of the heart. Um, you can give extremely generously, and if your heart is not in the right place with God, it's not acceptable before God. In fact, do you remember in Malachi, the previous parts of this book, where God was not accepting their offerings? One of the specific areas it says, you're not treating your wife correctly. You've, you've broken faith with the wife of your youth, and that's why your offerings are not being accepted. It's not just about what we give, it's about... The, the heart behind what we give. I mean, the greatest example of that, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, they sold a field and gave, we don't know how much of it, but apparently a good chunk of what they made to the Lord, and they dropped dead for it because their heart was in the wrong place. They were trying to deceive people in, in their giving. And so I just want to ask you to be really honest as we bring things to a close this morning. I just want to ask you this question. How's your heart when it comes to your giving? 
Is your heart in the right place? I'm not asking you how much are you giving. You know the, the example that Jesus gave us of somebody who was giving properly was the widow who gave next to nothing. And yet he commended her because he said she was giving all that she had to live and she was trusting him in her giving. So the question is, how's your heart? Have you become skeptical when it comes to giving? Have you kind of bought into this line of thinking that, oh, well, they're just after my money and this and that? Or do you give but begrudgingly? Is it something less than a joy? Is it something less than an expression of worship? When Malachi spoke to the people and they asked him, how are we to return to you? How are we, in essence, to repent? He said, you're to repent in the area of your giving. Guys, could this be a call to repentance for some of us? To say, I've strayed away from the Lord in this area of my life. And the really important thing is that I get back in a right relationship with God. I need to make things with God right again. That's my desire for you. I want you to be in a place where your relationship with God is, is strong and healthy and there aren't barriers. That's what we want for all of us. And we should constantly be evaluating ourselves to ask the question, Lord, is there anything that is keeping me from being in right relationship with you? Remember, what you give is between you and God. We're not under the law. But also remember that our expression of worship in our giving should reflect our deep love and, and trust in God. So I know this can be a difficult topic. My prayer is that you guys hear God's heart for us today, that we understand the reason behind the importance of our giving. It's about our relationship. It's about growing in trust. And it's about God showing himself in us and to us in ways that we just won't see until we're trusting him in this area of our life. Let's pray together. Father, I do I just come before you today asking that you will bring conviction. And Lord, honestly, where, where there's repentance that's needed in this area of our life, I pray that, that, that it happens. Um, Lord, test our hearts and show us what we need to do. Show us where things are not right and show us where we need to um, just take steps of faith and where we need to trust you fully. That's our desire, to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.